Hello and welcome to Mondays with Mac. My name is Dr. John B. McIntosh. I am a licensed professional counselor, certified advanced alcohol and drug counselor, and a board certified counselor. Today I am going to present process addictions following up on our discussion on alcohol abuse, use, and addiction. Today with process addictions, it involves uh, behavioral patterns that can be addictive in nature, such things as sexual addiction, gambling addiction, technology addiction, work addiction, compulsive spending or buying, and food addiction is what we're going to cover today, if time permits. Process addictions are still being debated as a true addiction or not. We do know it has great psychological dependency and in some cases, these process addictions can also be physiologically addictive. Process addictions are marked by obsessions, compulsions, and significant life impairment like your career, relationships, even your health. Comorbidity is common. Sometimes with these addictions come eating disorders and alcoholism. These process addictions are becoming more and more prominent, in fact, rampant in our society today. Some examples that are common that are increasingly getting worse and worse are cell phone addictions, computer gaming, and internet addictions, or what we call tech addictions. Let's begin our talk with uh, talking about sexual addiction first and give you some data and research-backed uh, information. Sexual addictions were not really researched until the late 1980s. And what they found from the research since that time is that 3% of adults suffer from this particular addiction. And of that 3%, 20 to 25% are women and 20 to 40% are men. Where people can turn to for some help if they are indeed suffering from a sexual addiction are Sexaholic Anonymous. Sex addict is someone who's addicted to lust, that feeling of desire and wanting. They cannot determine what is right or wrong, and as the behavior continues, they lose control. So some of the characteristics with a sexual addict are isolation, prevalent guilt, marked depression, and deep feelings of emptiness, disconnection. Denial is the same as with uh, substance abuse with sexual addicts. Um, sexual addiction coexists with other psychiatric disorders, such as depression, anxiety, personality disorder, relationship issues, and even bipolar disorder. Without proper knowledge of how addictions work, the client may be diagnosed with bipolar disorder for some of the behaviors exhibited and can be looked at as being manic or hypermanic or hypersexual. As of now, there are no diagnostic criteria for classifications for sexual addiction in Diagnostic Statistical Manual 5. Um, this area is still being researched and more information is needed to come up with the various ways of treating this other than through uh, addiction treatment. There are diagnoses for sexual disorders, however, like uh, paraphilic disorders. 
that involve com compulsivity, obsessions, and harm to others such as voyeurism, pedophilia, sadism, masochism, and exhibitionism. You've heard of these other disorders which are quite serious and can do some harm to self and others. Treatment for sexual addictions currently uses a cognitive behavioral approach and biological treatments. For instance, uh, with some of the abusers, they are treated with hormonal therapy. Um, they can be treated with uh, certain libido inhibiting antidepressants that can also help in treating this particular disorder. Sexual addicts, and the reason why they're called addictions, is they exhibit many of the same behaviors as with a chemical addiction, with their desires, their compulsions, uh, their physical, mental, and emotional reactions when not getting their needs fulfilled, and how they keep seeking the high, in this case, seeking the lustful uh, behaviors. The next addiction uh, in the process addiction is gambling. This too continues to rise as casinos, online gambling, and lotteries are rampant in our country. So these particular areas create more and more of the gambling addiction. The Diagnostic Statistical Manual 5 places it under the non-substance related disorders. The gambling addict needs to gamble and with increasing amounts of money in order to achieve the desired excitement. They lie to conceal their, their extent of the involvement with gambling, just like the chemical addiction person will lie about how much they use and how often. They rely on others for money to relieve desperate financial situations. To give you some examples of some clients I've worked with who have gambling addictions, their rationale is quite interesting. For instance, they will gamble. They'll say, I'll spend $100 a month on gambling. And this can go on for months without winning anything from scratch off or from playing uh, big cash fives or the uh, mega millions, etc. And then when they happen to win maybe $50 or $100, they feel excited. They get that rush, that chemical rush like a person using drugs. And they feel like they've accomplished something. And in fact, they're still in a hole. After months of playing, if they don't win perhaps uh, five to maybe over $100,000, they're still in the red and they continue to lose money. But it's that compulsion, that desire, and excitement of possibly I can win this time. And then they get into the behaviors of good luck charms, etc., to help uh, uh, enhance their feelings of excitement. So they do exhibit the same behaviors as people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. Women who experience trauma in their life played a significant role in their entrance into the world of gambling. Uh, they tend to get into that trauma and they relieve the trauma through excitement of maybe, maybe accomplishing something quick in the here and now with lots and lots of money. Signs of gambling addiction, of course, number one would be the secretiveness that people do Excessive time with phone calls, more likely making contact to place bets, uh, internet access, and unaccounted time away from work or home, unexplained preoccupation with gambling, and increased debt and worry over finances, increased drug and alcohol consumption, 
and lastly, extravagant expenditures that causes financial issues. The National Council on Problem Gambling has reported up to $7 billion related to bankruptcies, job loss, and criminal justice actions against those who have gambling addictions. More cultural data is surfacing. Gambling addicts may, are more prevalent in Asian Americans. Helpful approaches? One is, if you're not familiar with it, is the harm reduction model. In this model, with drug and alcohol, the harm reduction model proposes helping the addicts and giving them treatment instead of incarceration. In drug and alcohol, the harm reduction says punish the dealers or the pushers of drugs and alcohol, not the actual addicts. Provide help for them instead. So the same model can be applied with gambling addiction or any of these process addictions in that we can offer help because it is indeed a life threatening addiction. Gamblers Anonymous is another uh, area of seeking some help and guidance and this meeting started in 1957. Another area that I am personally seeing in my private practice growing more exponentially year by year by year it's getting quite concerning to me and it's actually uh, one of my uh, biggest uh, concerns and that's technology addiction. This addiction is particularly easy to contract due to reliance on euphoria producing technological devices, which trigger the addictive behaviors among vulnerable individuals. So much needs to be said about this, folks, that uh, I don't think time permits on this particular talk, but uh, gaming addiction is really prevalent. My younger clients in their teens, early 20s, are spending six to eight hours a day gaming and wiping out their entire weekends being on a computer, rationalizing that they're talking to friends while they're playing to the game and believing that that is a socialization process. But when you observe these folks, when they do finally come into counseling for, it's usually other reasons, not the, not the gaming, but when they come into counseling, they're socially inept. They lose the ability to make eye contact and communicate effectively. And usually when they do communicate, it's very short sentences, if not one word, remarks or answers. Um, also, I've had several in the past few weeks who have had uh, trigger thumb or trigger finger from playing the game consoles. And what that is, is when your tendon in your hands going to your fingers uh, slip out of the musculature and as a result, your fingers will click when you bend and unbend them. And this re requires surgery to correct. Another factor I'm dealing with physically are um, men and women who have tech neck. And these are people that are always walking around with their head down looking at the phones, sitting down looking at the phones, sitting down playing games, looking down at the computer. And as a result, they get tendonitis in the neck area and they can also get bulging or slip disc of the neck, again, requiring surgery. So healthy behaviors for technology. Uh, I do work with my clients and encourage no more than two hours a day if that's what you require on a computer. Put your phones down. Uh, if you're traveling somewhere and you're using GPS, that's fine. But when you're walking around looking for things, it is so easy to get on the phone and look for places but for exercise and for looking up and around, why not walk around 
and look for places like restaurants, uh, stores, things you want to check out, enjoy life. I don't know if anybody today, and I see in my practice, have any clue what the world was like before we had cell phones. When people actually walked around, we made eye contact, we talked, we inquired of how each other are, we made conversation. It's amazing today. It's almost to me what I observe at uh, you know teaching here at the college, in my private pra counseling practice, and watching people in general. I'm a people watcher when I go out and about. To me, it is extremely similar to watching Star Trek. Everybody's on their communicators. They're walking with their heads down. There's no smiles. There's no greetings. It is amazing to me how addictive we are to these cell phones. We're on group chats. We're on connections, Instagram. We're on uh, Facebook. We're on, uh, there's so many I can't even get into. And you're overstimulated. And what we're finding out is even the internet is filled with a lot of information. But when you get down to it, very little knowledge. And what I mean by that is anybody can get on the internet. Anybody can post things. And it amazes me when I talk to some clients and they come up with facts when they're talking with me. And I ask them, where did you get that information? And then they tell me, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Wikipedia, they come up with all these things. And I said, did you ever explore the credentials of the person who's talking to you, who's presenting these things? And no, they don't. They take the, that face value that this is information that's on the Internet, has to be true. So I warn people, please, with the technology, put it down. Use it sparingly, not as an everyday companion like your best friend. We need to get back to being human. So even the word has a misnomer. When you say human beings, that's not quite true. Today, we are human doings. Because human being means being. Be still. Be aware. Be conscious. That's human being. Human doings have their face planted in their technology, feeling that they're connected, and they're really not. You're connected to your device, but to have that human connection, we need to face-to-face. -to -face. So technology works well if you're using it sparingly, and if you need to talk to somebody you can't see due to distance, that's fine. But do not use it uh, as a, like I said, like a best friend you're using it every day. An interesting and scary statistic is 31% of today's adult drivers, ages 18 to 64, are caught reading, texting, or emailing while driving. Unbelievable, scary stuff that's going on. Um, we have this, un, this cultural need to utilize technology as external means for work and internally for personal needs. Factors that motivate the use of this technology in creating addiction is that pseudo need for social connections and interpersonal relationships. Remember, my, my uh, working with clients all these years, 
I'm finding that it truly is not an interpersonal connection. It's a connection to your device. To be interpersonal connections, you need to be with each other face to face. The second uh, thing that motivates the addiction is seeking behavior such as searching the internet for information. And you will find information. But again, unless you're looking at the sources, you're not getting much knowledge. Okay? And the last uh, motivating factor is convenience and awareness of personal benefits. Uh, talking to my college students, it's amazing how many prefer to text rather than call their friends or family. And I explored this a little bit. Why? Why do you prefer to text over calling? Their answers were typically, uh, if we call, they may keep us on the phone. And this is my point, folks. We've lost that ability to communicate honestly. Uh, the students will feel they're rude if they would get on the phone and they had something they had to do and tell the person on the other end, I'm sorry, but I got to go right now. I got to do something. What's wrong with that? What is wrong with that? Instead, they feel they can get off the phone easier if they text. So we're losing our ability to speak honestly, and we're losing our ability to converse with emotions. How do you express emotions via text? I can tell you in my private practice how many fights I've had with couples. They're coming in arguing because they misinterpreted a text message. They didn't understand. They thought something different than what was intended. So, this is not an effective means of communicating. It's good for one short things or you know sharing some things, but not a mean of uh, means of communicating on a daily basis. It really, is not. Don't be afraid to call somebody to hear their voice. And if, and if anything should ever happen to that person, folks, I think you would feel very good about yourself if you actually spoke to them, if something would happen to them physically or even death, that you spoke with them instead of texting them. Please. And finally, with the tech addiction, I get really frustrated if people get hooked on uh, Snapchat or Instagram and they love all these little videos that they consider to be hilarious and funny. It's okay to look at them once in a while, but when you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and you look up the clock and hours are going by. That's not funny. It is an addiction. At that point, you need help. You're losing the ability to be a human. Sorry for the emphasis, but that's one of the biggest things that are growing in my practice right now. Very difficult to work with because people rationalize that it is a need that can't exist without it. Again, go back 20 years. How did we exist without it? How? What happened when we broke down in our car? What happened when we needed to get a hold of someone? I don't think people realize how much technology has come along that we think has made life simpler, but in fact, as we're going to get into the next topic, technology has us working the jobs of two or three people now. It is not necessarily convenient in all situations. So I'd like you to reflect upon these things if you would. The next area to cover is work addiction. And what we call this as far as addiction is workaholism. I personally am uh, guilty in my past. I have always worked two to three jobs. 
Currently, I work two part-time jobs, which is much more manageable, but I used to work uh, a full-time and two part-time jobs in the past, rationalizing that I loved what I did, so I kept doing and doing. And as a result, you get weight gain from eating uh, badly, you get exhausted, you get moody. So I had to deal with workaholism, and I had to explore this and recover from it. And I make priorities now of being face-to-face -face with people, not on my phone. In fact, if you're ever around me, you'll notice my phone does not go off. When it does, it's typically a client or it could be a friend seeing what I'm up to and what I want to do. But it very rarely goes off. And I work very hard to make sure that I do not get on Facebook, or I'm sorry, I do not get on Instagram, Snapchat. I do not like those apps. I will not get on them. Facebook, I have my counseling practice on there, but I do not get on that except to see if there's any messages for someone seeking an appointment. I try to stay away from anything addictive, mostly due to the fact that I come from an addictive family of both gambling and uh, chemical addictions. So workaholism counts for 18% of our society. That's significant, folks. Very significant. This is difficult to study due to the secretive nature and how our society actually encourages and your employers want workaholics. They encourage that because you're going to spend excessive hours without getting paid, thinking that you need to do that to be number one or to be the best. You really got to catch that. This was first coined about 25 years ago, and we're learning that perfectionism often closely tied to workaholism. What is, what do you consider workaholism? If you're working 50 or more hours a week, you need to look at your addictive qualities. You may in fact be addicted. Characteristics, they have usually have typical uh, multiple addictions. They use denial just like chemical addictions. They have self-esteem problems. Uh, they look for external validation and how well they're doing and what their value is. They cannot relax. They're very obsessive. Their behavior becomes out of control where they're working, working, but everything else is put to the side. And they tend to escape from personal issues or uh, intimate relationships by diving into their work. They tend to have more than one addiction. Uh, you'll see a lot of workaholics have often smoke, drink, or drug in order to escape. Very high risk of burnout and, and mental health problems. Um, some causal explanation for workaholism to truly find enjoyment and satisfaction in their work. Uncontrollable desire to work, even if they don't enjoy the task that they're doing. Another factor is euphoric high, just like a drug, they get from accumulating the rewards of their hard work. And as a result, they have greater anxiety, much stress, anger that can be rageful at times, and deep, dark depression. So they develop poor self-acceptance and uh, self-esteem. And they, like I said before, they seek external validation for who and what they are. Currently, uh, some help is available via counseling, or they can go to Workaholics Anonymous. And this group was formed in 1983 as they saw the uh, surge of people working excessively. Another uh, process addiction is compulsive buying or spending. This accounts for 6% of our population, again, a very significant number of people. These are folks that compulsively shop, 
and un they have uncontrolled buying habits, addictive buying, addictive consumption, shopaholism, and spendaholism. All very compulsive buying behaviors. For this particular group, they can go to a, a support group called Debtors Anonymous. And that's the debt that they accrue through alcohol, food, or gambling. Uh, this has been going on for years and years. Compulsive buying is triggered by negative or stressful life experiences or feelings. You'll see people go and buy, and it's just like taking a drink or drug. They go and buy, and they feel this rush of pleasure over the item that they bought. <coughs> Oftentimes, they bring the item home, and as soon as that rush is alleviated in their body and they're starting to calm, they look at their uh, possession, and they say to themselves, why did I get this? I don't need it. And as a result, they typically will take it back the next day and get their money back. Or if they keep it, they may not even wear it because they don't understand why they bought it. That is an addiction. This kind of compulsive buying can take a toll on a family system with debt and bankruptcy. According to DSM-5, this might be diagnosed as an impulse control disorder. And if necessary, if their finances get very stressed, it can lead to kleptomania or stealing. And it may be associated with uh, that compulsive buying. So treatment is typically uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. They can get pharmacology. In other words, there are medications to help with the compulsive behavior. This 12-step group that we talked about, that Debtors Anonymous and psychological. You can seek counseling or psychiatric care for that. The problem with this uh, particular issue becoming more prominent is we live in a consumer-driven society. People want more and more and more. It's got to stop. Lastly and quickly, we are dealing with food addiction and disordered eating. Things like anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating. For years, these particular disorders were considered psychiatric or psychological. Today, there's more evidence coming about showing that this may, in fact, be an addiction because sufferers from these disorders have the same symptoms as drug addicts and alcoholics and are particularly attracted to foods with high fat, high sugar, because it works. It releases dopamine in the brain. It makes you feel good. So we go for junk foods and high-fat, high-sugar uh, foods because when we're really stressed out and you eat those foods, it does act like an anti-anxiety or antidepressant. It calms you. For these particular disorders, there are several places you can go. Uh, Overeaters Anonymous, Anorexic Anonymous, Bulimics Anonymous, and Food Addicts in Recovery. So these folks often struggle with issues of control, acceptance, and self-esteem. So anorexia is typically anybody weighing less than 15% of their uh, ideal weight, they're 15% below their ideal weight, compulsive starvation and excessive weight loss. They can never lose enough. Um, bulimia nervosa, these are people typically binge eating and purge via vomiting. Uh, they may use laxatives or they exercise excessively to get the uh, calories out of their body. Anorexics are typically very, very low weight, whereas bulimics are typically normal to above weight. And then there's about, in our country today, we have binge eating disorder. These are episodes of uncontrollable, impulsive binging 
but no purging. So these folks tend to eat rapidly and secretively and are very depressed and sad, typically obese as well. In our country, there's 30 million struggling with eating disorders at this time. And uh, society itself operates addictively, so it's only natural you see these addictions in eating and chemicals and these process addictions popping up everywhere. So these are some of the process addictions that I deal with in my counseling practice and I see in our culture. I spent uh, most of my time talking about the technology addiction because I personally feel that this is one process addiction that is currently out of control and it's getting exponentially worse year by year by year. So I'm trying my best to help people get out of this and become human beings again, get out in nature, talk to people. When you're in the grocery stores or retail stores, get in the long lines, not the short lines. Talk to people. Some people are very unhappy. Just a simple hello and discussing things can make them smile and make a better day. Look into the eyes, please. So next, our next talk, continuing on this uh, particular avenue, I'm going to be talking to you about sound health. So what we're going to get into is the noise that surrounds your environment and why we have to refocus uh, on being silent. So we're going to incorporate uh, talk on music and the sounds in our environment at our next talk. I appreciate you sharing this time with me. I hope I've made a difference. I hope I can help you reformulate or reevaluate where you're at in your life and make a better one. Take care and take care of each other. Bye-bye.